Bless the Lord. Acts chapter 19. Hoping not to keep you too long this morning. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what then were you baptized, or how were you baptized? And they said, Under John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily, or John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Amen. Bless the Lord. With the help of the Lord this morning, I want to take my title from the second verse of that chapter, where Paul said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And I just want to preach to you this morning about since you believed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence that is in this house. We ask you, Lord, to minister to us, Lord, to speak to us, to challenge us, Lord God, to consider, Lord God, what you would say to us today, I pray. Anoint me, have your way through us, Lord, today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Belief is an interesting thing. Belief at a very basic level begins with acknowledging mentally that something is true. We believe in certain things because we know that they're facts. But belief in a biblical context, when you study the scripture, belief in a biblical context never exists in the isolation of your mind. But rather, scriptural belief always produces something. Something happens, something transpires, there's a reaction, there's a response, there's something that is a product of belief. And when the Apostle Paul came to Ephesus, he traveling through a certain part of the countryside, he found certain disciples in this place and he, he, he asked them the question, since you started believing, have you received the Holy Ghost? Why did he ask that? Because it was important. Because he knew that we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to be baptized with the Spirit of the Lord. And he wanted to know where these people were at. He didn't uh, discredit their faith. He didn't say, well, you don't know everything, so therefore I'm not going to talk to you. But he wanted to find out where they were at in their understanding. And so he said to them, since you believe, have you received the Holy Ghost? And there are some people that believe that you receive the Holy Ghost automatically when you believe. But this scripture would challenge that particular point of view because it seems that there was something that happened since they believed. And we know that when they responded to Paul, they said, well, we, we didn't, we've never even heard about the Holy Ghost. And he said, well, then how were you baptized? And they said, we, we were baptized the way that John the Baptist baptized. So somewhere along the way, these people, whether they had traveled to Israel, whether somebody from Israel had traveled through this part of the world, somewhere along the way, 
communication had taken place about the message that John the Baptist preached. And they heard that repentance was important and that there was somebody that John was preparing the way for, but they hadn't received the update. They hadn't received the, the completion of the story. And so Paul said John's baptism was good for its purpose. He said he baptized unto repentance, but he also said that there was somebody coming after him that they should believe on. And we know that was speaking of Jesus Christ. And then when they heard this, they believed again. Because when they heard what Paul said, they didn't say, well, we're comfortable with where we're at. We're content with the, the knowledge that we have and the things that we've been told. But when Paul said to them, John was right, but he said there's more to come, and they heard Paul, they believed and something happened and they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And I would propose to you today that anywhere you read in the book of Acts that somebody is baptized, they are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the way the Bible teaches us to be baptized. And then Paul laid his hands upon them, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, most of us in this place this morning understand, at least at some level, what this is talking about. We believe that we need to be born again. We believe that we need to be saved from our sins. We need to have our sins washed away. And we believe that we need to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that's good because that's the beginning. That's the new birth. But we've got to be careful as Christians, as saints, as believers, that our belief doesn't reside with that experience. Because if I believe today, and if I can, I'm going to tack on the back of Brother Hackathorn's message about faith for today this morning. If I believe today, this Sunday in 2017, then something should still be happening since I believe. There should still be something in my life that is being produced if I'm still declaring that I still believe. If my belief exists only in a past tense, then it's historical, it's not present. And while I need that historical context, I, I, it's a wonderful thing to be able to point back in your past and say, I remember when I repented of my sins. I remember when I came to an altar or knelt down at a bed or sat at somebody's dinner table and confessed my sins and repented. I remember when the preacher took me and baptized me in Jesus' name. I remember when I was baptized. It's been a long time now, but I remember the river. Or really it was just a creek, it wasn't big enough to be a river, where my pastor took me and baptized me in Jesus' name. I remember what it was to be filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time when I was 11 years of age. I remember that night. Sister Annie, we have a mutual contact. Sister Helen Cole prayed me through to the Holy Ghost all those years ago. I remember that night. I'll never forget that night as long as I live. But I'm not 11 years old anymore. I'm not living in 1980, whatever it was, when I turned 11. I'm in 2017. And if I still believe, then something still needs to be happening since I believe. There still needs to be a product. There still needs to be things that I'm believing for in my present. That I'm believing God wants to do in me and through me today. And if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, that's wonderful. But if you've got to look back to find when the last time it was that you yielded to the Spirit of the Lord and He flowed through you and you spoke in other tongues, you need to do something about that this morning. Amen. 
You need to stir that up because if it's in your past, it can't affect your present. What I need is something today. And there's a reason that in the Old Testament, when the Lord provided the manna for the Israelites in the wilderness, He didn't give them a week's groceries at a time, but He gave it to them every morning. It was fresh every day. Now, I'm not suggesting that you necessarily have to pray through every day, but I will say it's not a bad habit. But I need the baptism of the Holy Ghost in my life, in my present. Because if I've got it in my present, something's going to keep happening. Something's going to be produced in me. That faith is going to continue to be stirred up. And I want to challenge us a little bit this morning and maybe even light a little bit of a fire under us if I can that we've got to be careful we're not sitting back waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. He, when he said occupy till I come, he didn't say sit in, put your seatbelt on and hang on. He wanted us to be active. He wanted something to be happening since we believed. You read the word of God, the Bible says that the, the laborers are few. That means that too many people are sitting down, not enough people are working. Amen. And you cannot, no matter way, how you twist, twist these scriptures, you cannot work your way into heaven. You are saved by grace. You obey the word of God by faith and you're saved by grace. But once you're saved, it still has to be active in us. We still have to be doing something in the kingdom of God. And we all have the capacity to do something for the kingdom of God. There needs to be something happening since I believed. This week, did I believe this week? Yes. What's happening since I believed? What am I doing to see God's will fulfilled in my life this week? I can go home to my house and pull out that photo album that my mum put together and dig out that little old baptismal certificate that's just about an ancient manuscript now and probably fall apart if I try to pick it up. And I love the fact that I can say I was baptized in Jesus' name. Way back there. But I'm, it's, it's history. I look, he, he took my sins away, but I need him to continue to cleanse me today. I need to continue to come to him. I don't know about you, but I think I've let him down at least once or twice since I was baptized in Jesus' name. At least once or twice. A thousand times. Ten th- I don't know how many times. So I need to keep coming back and say, God, I still believe. If your word says that if I, if I sin, I've got an advocate with the Father and I can come to him and he can still take my sins away, that's my present. That's not my past. That's my present. And I need to have the Spirit of God active in me today, working through me and in me today. I need to be saying, God, what do you want to happen in Simon's life today? Who do you want me to reach for? What is it that you want to change? What are the areas of my life that you're trying to get me to focus on that I'm ignoring because I lack faith? Since I believed... He can still change you. Don't you know, we're funny creatures sometimes. We believe that God can save us from our sins, that He can fill us with the Holy Ghost, but then we seem to struggle to believe that He can change things that to us seem so big. What problem could you possibly have that is bigger than your sins? What circumstance or struggle or weakness or flaw or challenge could you possibly have that is as insurmountable as when he took your sins away 
I could not take once if I was able to go through that big pile of muck and pull out what I thought was my smallest itty bitty sin. I can't take that thing away. But he took the whole pile. And then we say, well, you know, I've just got this issue and I'm struggling and and I don't think the Lord can change this because I'm weak and I'm this and I'm that. That is a lie from the devil. Since you believed. What's happening today? What's happening today? Mark chapter 9, the word of the Lord tells us that there was a man brought his son to the disciples. They didn't have what it took. Jesus came on the scene and this child was affected by demon spirits. And he said, this, this evil spirit takes my son. It tries to throw him into the fire. It tries to throw him into the water. It's trying to destroy him. And this, this poor kid is frothing at the mouth, the Bible says. He's foaming at the mouth. And as a parent, as a parent, that would be horrific to watch your child have this problem and not be able to do anything about it. And he brought him to the Lord and he basically says to the Lord, I'm just hoping there's something that you can do. And the Lord says, anything's possible if you believe. If you believe. And the man, to his credit, and in his honesty, he says, Lord, help thou my unbelief. Some of us need to pray those words this morning. Some of us are stuck in a place where we don't think anything can change. We need to lift our hands to him and say, God, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I need something to happen since I believed. I believed all those years ago that you could fill me with the Holy Ghost. I believed that you could take my sins away. I believed that you could provide my every need. But somewhere along the way, somebody or something has convinced me that this can't be changed. And God is still saying, if you believe, all things are still possible. And I've got to say, God, help my unbelief. Because what I see... And what I feel and what I rationalize with my own mind does not seem possible. Help thou my unbelief. Hallelujah. If he can get me into heaven, then he can deal with the things in this life that seem so huge to me. Hallelujah. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day. We were talking about the effect of... I guess really um, evil spirits and, and witchcraft and some of those sort of things. And in our conversation, we acknowledge that the, 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 some of those things that are real, demon spirits are real. Witchcraft is powerful. There, there is power associated with those things. You know, don't just say, well, that's just make-believe. There is genuine power associated with some of those things. The issue is the source of the power. We know the source of the power is the enemy, it's the devil, and that the Lord has greater power. And, but, the, but here's the thing. In our conversation, we were talking about how certain things can happen, and it seems like somebody has no control over them. And the problem there is not that you don't have control, but that you have been sold a lie that you believe that you do not have control. Because when I opened this book... The Bible tells me about a time that Jesus came across to a place called Gadara, or the place of the Gadarenes. And there was a man there who was possessed of a huge amount of demons. There's some debate about how many. The the short answer is lots. 
So much so that he lived among the tombs, that he howled and wailed at night, that he cut himself with sharp stones. The, the locals tried to bind him with chains and such was the power of the demons that he shattered those chains as if they weren't even there. He was under complete possession of these evil spirits. But as the boat came through the shallows and nudged onto the sand, and God manifest in the flesh, stepped over the side of that boat one foot and then the other. That demon-possessed man ran and he cast himself at the feet of Jesus and God delivered him. Help thou my unbelief this morning. Hallelujah. You've got to be careful what you listen to. And what voices you allow to speak into your mind. Because if they can convince you that you can't change, you will believe it. It doesn't have to be true for you to believe it. As a lot of people believe a lot of stuff that does not have a factual basis. It's called superstition. Old wives tales, made up stuff. People believe it. And you can't convince them otherwise. And that's exactly why the, the Bible describes the God of this world as having blinded the minds of them that believe. Not. It doesn't say that the things they're stuck in, their addictions, their bondages, their problems, their issues are impossible. It says that in their heads, they're convinced. They can't change. They can't get out. It's too much. It's too hard. It's too far. But that's why the Scripture says that the light has shined into the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not because darkness cannot exist where light shines and the Lord shines into people's darkness and he says, you've, you've believed the light. I can still deliver you. God, help thou our unbelief. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a particular thing I want to challenge us with this morning. And that is the lie that you can't reach somebody with the gospel. We've all experienced, most of us at least have experienced, you tell somebody about what the Lord has done in your life and how he's delivered you and how all these great things have happened and they just look at you like you've lost your mind or they laugh at you and they make fun of you and we get discouraged and we come to church and we say, well, you know, God can still do it. But inside a little bit of faith goes down. God wants to use us. God wants to use you. I want you to raise your hand if you want God to use you to reach somebody this morning. Even if you don't feel like it. Just a God, I want... Well, you've got to mean that. Since you believed this morning. Since you believed this morning. I had a phone call the other day during the week from a lady who works at a rehabilitation center just in the Swan Valley, not far from where I live. And she said, oh, is this the Pentecostal church? And I said, yes, it is. Or I said, at least it's the pastor, I'm not the whole church. But... And she said, oh, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such a rehabilitation center, and we have all the, the people that we're working with. Uh, it's a, I think it's a um, more drug rehab type sort of place. And she said, as the people, as they progress along in their efforts to, to get over their, their addictions and they reach a certain point, as part of the process of, of trying to help them to reassimilate, I guess, into society, they take them out to different churches. And she said, would it be okay if we brought some to your church? I said, absolutely. And so I want you to pray. The 29th of July, Sunday morning, there's about 60 people coming from that rehab center to this house. And I want the power of the Holy Ghost to flow through this place. God help my unbelief. 
in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Since you believed. What's happened to you since you believed? Hallelujah. And so if you don't know the person next to you this morning, introduce yourself because we're going to be sitting awful close that Sunday morning. We're going to be squashed in here and making room. And I can promise you this, the devil's going to try to distract. He's going to try to cause a drama or something's going to happen. But we're going to hang on and we're going to trust the Lord. And we're going to see what the Lord can do. Oh, hallelujah. Since you believed. You see, when we read this, we read this passage in Acts chapter 19. We use it when we, and so we should. When we, we teach people that if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, you might have had a prior baptism. Your faith might have been sincere. It might have been John's baptism. It might have been in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But Paul said to these believers, you've got to get it right. And then when they listened to him, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's why we often refer to this passage, and so we should. But you've got to look at what happens before here. You see, if you go back to chapter 18, you don't have to turn there because I'm actually going to read. I'm just going to pick pieces out. But at the beginning of chapter 18, Paul comes to a place called Corinth. And in Corinth, he finds a Jew named Aquila, who's married to a lady named Priscilla. They were living in Italy. Don't know how that happened, but they've recently come from Italy. Now they're living in Corinth. And Paul, who happens by trade to be a tent maker, finds out that they're tent makers. And so he, they let him have the spare room. And he lives with them for a little while, and they're working together. Somewhere along the way, Paul opens the word of the Lord to them, and they become con- converts. They become disciples of Jesus Christ. And then, as you read on in the chapter, they travel with Paul. They travel to Ephesus with Paul, and Paul leaves them there. And he's going back somewhere else and on his missionary journeys. You have to remember, when you read the book of Acts and you read about this travel, we read it as though it's happening very, very quickly. Travel took a long time. When Paul said, you know, I'm, I'm in Antioch and I'm heading for Ephesus, he didn't jump onto the internet pull out his mastercard and book a flight and get on at 6 a.m the next morning he had to book passage on a ship or or they had to walk in some circumstances so sometimes when you read paul went from here to here to here it wasn't you know he didn't book a multi-stop flight it took weeks and months to travel those places and so these new converts who paul's just shared the gospel with they traveled him to ephesus he leaves them there he moves on and while they're in ephesus They meet a man at the end of chapter 18 whose name is Apollos. And they witness to Apollos. Apollos, the the Bible says, was preaching. He was an eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures, and he was persuading many people, but all he knew was up to the the baptism of John. And the Bible says that Aquila and Priscilla took him. They they took him home. They made some dinner, sat around the table. And it says they opened the word to him more perfectly or the way to him more perfectly. That word perfectly often in the New Testament context means complete. They filled in the pieces of the puzzle that, that Apollos didn't quite have yet. And then what happens is Apollos leaves town. And then Paul comes back to Ephesus and he finds certain disciples. Now, where did these disciples hear from? Probably from Apollos. Who knows, when you try to put the pieces together, somebody's telling somebody about Jesus. And then somebody else runs into that somebody and adds a bit more Jesus to their understanding. And that's what should be happening since you believe. There should be things stirring in us. 
And then Paul comes to Ephesus, and what's his first thing he does? He looks for somebody to talk to. And he tells them about the gospel. You can reach somebody. I'm going to say that again and again this morning because I want it to go from your head into your heart. You can reach a soul. You can teach a Bible study. You can bring somebody to the house of the Lord and they can be born again. How do I know that? Because somebody reached you. Somebody invited you. Now some of us, some of us were brought to the Lord by our parents when we were small. We didn't have a lot of say in the matter. Mum and dad said you go to church. You go to church, and some of you are here today because of that. Some willingly, some maybe not so much. That's okay. You'll understand the privilege when you get older. At some point, you make a decision, is mum's church my church? Is mum's God my God? And if you, if you even think about the pros and cons, you'll choose God every time. But others of us that didn't have the privilege of growing up in a, in a church family know that there was a point that somebody sat down with us and told us about the love of God, told us about the grace of God, told us about the power of the cross and the power of the blood and how our sins could be washed away and our lives could be turned around. And you believed. And something happened since you believed. They told you about the Holy Ghost. Now, we talk about the Holy Ghost all the time like it's normal conversation because for us it is. But just like these believers at Ephesus, there's a lot of people out there. That if you mention the Holy Ghost, they won't have a clue what you're talking about. And so you've got to take it back a few steps like Paul did and give it to them in piece by piece. But the point I'm trying to make is if you listen to somebody, what makes you different from somebody else? But we believe the lie that nobody wants to hear the gospel. You know, when you believe that, you actually disagree with Scripture. Because the Bible says that the Lord said, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. So either He's right or we're right. Now, I've never won an argument with God yet. I've never proved Him wrong yet. I've tried sometimes because I'm stubborn. But if He said, that in the last days that he's going to pour out his spirit, then who do we think we are saying nobody wants to hear? Nobody wants the Holy Ghost. Nobody's listening to the gospel. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that there will be a harvest, that there will be those that come in, and that I have a responsibility. Brother Hackathon preached to us about being the answer to somebody's prayer. You are the answer to somebody's prayer. But something's got to happen since you believe. We've got to, you know, we are so easily uh, set in our ways, become creatures of habit. And our, our traditions and our practices that have to do with church and they're not all wrong, they very easily set in and start to solidify like cement. We've got to stir ourselves up. We've got to say, Lord, I can't just be going through motions. I've got to stir something in me. I want something to happen. Did I believe when I got up this morning? Yeah, well, what's happened since then? What have I done since I believed? What's happening in my present day? Now, I'm not saying that you're going to teach a Bible study at breakfast every morning. That's not my point. My point is that your faith has got to be active. It's got to be doing. I've got to be responding. See, unless, unless I've fulfilled every single promise in this book, unless I can open every epistle, 
and every verse and say, yep, got that covered, got that covered, got that covered, got that, then, then pack it away. Then I, maybe, and only maybe, I can sit back and say I've done it all. But as long as there are things that I can read in the pages of the Word of the Lord, that he, I can say he's still doing that in me. He's still changing me with that. He still wants to use me. And if his word still says that until he comes back, we've got to preach, we've got to reach, we've got to love, we've got to care. If it says that, then every day there's something in there that I've got to be stirring up. It's got to happen since I believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and worship the Lord for a moment. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning. That, Lord, faith would begin to rise, oh Lord God. That you would stir us, Lord God, I pray. Lord, that our faith would be today. That it would be present tense, Lord God. I pray right now, Lord, that you would breathe on some of us by your Spirit, Lord God. And that which may be dormant, Lord God, would be resurrected. It would be awoken, Lord. It would be stirred up, Lord Jesus, I pray. That we would be your people. That we would be your church, Lord God, I pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I hope you understand. I'm trying to stir us up a little bit this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are constantly under the subtle threat of slipping from Christianity into religion. Just going through emotions. Just doing stuff. You know, reading our Bibles, spending some time in prayer, going to church. Tick. And all those things we need. We need those things because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of the Lord. So if you want your faith stirred up, you need to get more of this into you. If you feel like your faith's a bit low, maybe you need to come to an extra service. Maybe you need to spend more time in the word because faith comes by the word of God. I think, Lord, my faith is weak. My faith is not strong. Get yourself somewhere where the word of God is preached. Get the word of God into your mind and into your heart and into your spirit. And it will stir faith up because faith has its origins in God. The measure of faith is given to us from Him. The gift of faith comes from Him. The fruit of faith comes from Him. Faith originates with Him. But He wants it to be in us. And He wants to stir it up in us. And He wants to help our unbelief this morning. Amen. I was thinking last night about peace. I don't know why. I was just thinking about peace. And peace is an interesting thing. Sometimes we think peace is the absence of conflict and that's I guess at a basic level sometimes when they introduce a peace accord between fighting might be nations might be religious groups might be tribal groups there's all kinds of people that choose to fight with each other when they introduce peace it might mean for a season that nobody's getting shot at but it's not really peace there's something simmering there and all it takes is something small and boom, we're up again and away we go again and people are shooting and firing rockets and doing all that stuff. And our world has never seen conflict like it's seen now. But we have to remember, and this is not something new, but this is something we've got to be reminded of, that we are in a battle as believers. We are in a battle. And you cannot be neutral. You cannot 
sit back and say, well, you know, I, I don't really want to be involved in this. I just want to sit back. If you sit back, inactivity, let me say this, spiritual inactivity is a choice to lose. If you choose to do nothing, you are choosing to lose the battle because you cannot be in this battle and win by doing nothing. You must be active and you must choose which side of the battle you are going to align yourself with because we've got to weigh up what is the best deal. What is the, you know, when, when nations form alliances, if we're honest, they do it for what's in their, their best interests. When countries form alliances against possible other threats, it's about what can I get out of this? What's the benefit for me? And the world's into all this wheeling and dealing and, you know, a lot of what we hear about in the news is really just on the surface. There's a whole lot more going on underneath that we don't know about. But we have to ask ourselves, what is the benefit for me? If I choose sin, if I choose to serve sin and to serve the devil, what am I getting, what's the benefit package? What are the, the pros of that choice? There, there is some satisfaction for the lusts of our flesh. Yes, that's true. There are some pleasures that you will experience in the short term. Yes, that's true. But it's not going to last very long. It has a very, very short shelf life. Because the satisfaction of sin only runs for a very brief season before you've got to find something else. And then something else. And then something else. And before long... You're doing things you never thought you'd do. You're involved in things you never thought you'd be involved in. And you're in a place where the devil is convincing you that you cannot get out of. They're the benefits of sin. Not much of a package. There's a, it's, it's a tougher battle. Let me be honest. It's a tougher battle to serve the Lord. It is. Because you're fighting against the lust of your flesh. You're fighting against what society is promoting and pushing upon us. But when we recognize what the Lord offers us in his word, the benefits that there are of serving God, the peace. You know, there are people that would give you everything they own to have peace of mind. To be able to put their heads down on a pillow and have peace. That's the promises of God. You need to choose a side. You're going to go one way or the other. You've got to choose which side it is going to be. What's happened since I believed? Since I believed. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, this world wants to tell us that we can choose what we want to believe, but, but not be, you know, don't be offensive with it. Nowadays, you're not allowed to say anything about anything. Well, you'll offend somebody. If you have an opinion about anything, you'll offend somebody. When I read this book, God has a lot of opinions about things that people will find offensive. And the world is, you know what the devil wants more than anything else? It's not sinners. It's an inactive church. He wants a church that's doing nothing. He wants a church that has to look way back when they find their experience with God. Not a church that's stirring things up now because that gives him trouble. That gives him trouble. And he tries to make peace. You know, when looking at a little bit of history, you go back to the 1930s, just prior to the Second World War, and the Nazi regime was rising up, and Adolf Hitler was an angry little man with a bad moustache trying to take over the world. And leading up, 
before the Second World War started, he was doing some things in Europe that weren't very nice. He was taking portions of places that he decided belonged to him. And some of the leaders of the world, if I remember correctly, was the leader of Italy, France, and England, went and had a meeting to try to broker some sort of an agreement, make a peace deal. And I think it was Neville Chamberlain, who was the British Prime Minister, who's probably, probably famous for more than anything as lacking a little bit of uh, steel in his spine and dealing with, with the aggressor that was in Europe. And they went and they had this deal, and it's interesting, they made a deal with Hitler to slice off a part of Europe that none of them were connected to, so it didn't really bother them too much. But uh, Chamberlain is famous for saying around that time, it might have been just after, but speaking about peace in our time. I think it was 1936 or 7 or somewhere in there. Peace in our time. They'd gone and had this wonderful chat, sat down and had strudel and coffee with Adolf, and we're going to have peace in our time. But what happened when they, you can't make a deal with the devil? Now, I'm not saying Adolf was, but he was definitely related. You can't make peace with the enemy. Because if you think you can sit down and negotiate where you give him a little portion of your life that you don't think is too important anyway and that he's going to leave you alone, he's going to try to consume you. Because as soon as they sign that deal within the space of a couple of years, he began to march across Europe. He began to take one country after another. And Neville Chamberlain, and my daughter will probably correct my history after because she knows it better than I do, but he didn't have the stomach for the fight and he got off the scene and a man by the name of Winston Churchill stood up and he said, we will fight them. We will stand, we will fight, we will not surrender. And you know, it got ugly. It got real ugly. And a lot of people lost their lives, and we still remember those battles today. But he recognized that there was no way to deal with that enemy except to fight. If they didn't fight, they would have consumed the the British Empire as well, and the rest of the world, and who knows what language we'd be speaking here today. But they recognized that there are some situations that you can't cut a deal with. You can't reason with the devil. You can't negotiate with the devil because his purpose is that he wants everything. He wants everything. And when you give him a little bit, he's coming a little bit further. And he's come. there is nothing that will satisfy the devil's appetite until you are destroyed. That's why the Lord said, The thief cometh not. He didn't say he cometh to steal and leave it at that. No, he said he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's how it works. That's what the devil does. He comes to the church and he wants to steal some things. He doesn't want to destroy you just yet. He doesn't want to change too much, but he wants to take away that faith that since you believed. He wants to take away that present day. Oh, you can talk about the past. You know, the devil's got no problem with us talking about the Azusa Street Revival. He's got no problem with us talking about the day of Pentecost or, or this that we happened or that miracle or how you know my grandmother was healed of cancer or how whatever this is. He's got no problem with your history. But when you try to take your history and bring it into your present, something begins to happen. Because that's what he said, I want this in my present day. I'm glad for my heritage. But you know, your testimony is only powerful if it's also affecting your present. Because I know people 
And you know people that have had an incredible testimony that God has brought deliverance and healing and salvation and all manner of miraculous power to their lives. And yet for one reason or another, somewhere along the way, they sat down at the negotiating table and said, well, all right, this is all a bit too hard. You can have that area. I'll stop my praying. You can have that part of my life. I used to fast regularly, but you can have that part, devil. Don't bother me, I'll give you that part. You know, I used to be in church every time the doors were open, but, you know, life is really busy. And so I'll, I'll, I'll give you my Wednesday night service. And peace by peace, peace by peace, he's taken, taken one piece of the cake and then another piece. And you look into that and you, get it, you adjust to it more and more, slowly but surely. But it says he comes to steal to kill and to destroy. And we, we celebrate those people that stood up against tyranny and wickedness and that, that sort of stuff that Hitler was involved in. And there's a place for being grateful for our freedom. But how about we celebrate a church that will stand up and say, not today, not today. There's a line. There's a line. This is my turf. Stay out of my house. Let's stand together this morning. Let's lift our hands to the Lord this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.